Well, we are here on episode 9 for the uh, Glimpsing the Glory of God series, and uh, today we're talking about which is such an important attribute of God for the way we relate to Him, and that's the love of God. Jerry, why don't you kick us off in, in getting to the topic of the love of God? Okay. Um, when we come to the love of God, uh, or sometimes we refer to it as the goodness of God. Uh, in the scripture, uh, those two words are often used interchangeably, although there is a difference. Uh, between them, uh, but the goodness of God uh, is that perfection of God that prompts him to deal bountifully uh, in a kindly way with his creatures. Um, for example, uh, Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Now, it's interesting that that's a psalm in the Old Testament, because we just got through talking about holiness and yeah. wrath and how the Old Testament emphasizes it. But here we have a statement in Psalm 145 about his goodness mm. uh, and his loving kindness uh, to his creatures. Uh, so generally the term good or the term goodness uh, is going to be referring to his uh, bounty. And what what I, what I really uh, delight in th- when I think about his goodness is that he exercised his goodness is never exercised with an ulterior motive hmm. or an agenda, a hidden agenda. You know, lots of people appear to be good, but they're trying to do that. They're doing that in order to accomplish uh, hmm. something, manipulate or something. God mm-hmm. does not manipulate. God's goodness is always genuine. It's, hmm. uh, there's what you see is what you get. Yeah, basically, he's he's not got something uh, up his sleeve. And what I'd said last time we were talking about holiness is that uh, if if God were not good most of the time, if God were only good most of the time, he wouldn't be good. Mm-hmm. Because goodness is always goodness. I mean, there's yeah. never a time when it, he lapses uh, and he's not good. Amen. Uh, now, the love of God, uh, which is the aspect, another aspect of his goodness or his love, is that he is always moved to reveal himself. The fact that he reveals himself to us, the motivation behind revealing himself to us is his goodness. You know, the deist, for example, Mm -hmm. believes like Jefferson was a deist. Uh, Ben Franklin was a deist. They believe that that God uh, created the universe and then walked off. Mm -hmm. Just spun it up and it's now running down like a watch. Uh, their idea of God is a God devoid of love. It's yeah. the love of God that moves him mm-hmm. to reveal himself uh, to his creatures. Uh, and frankly, uh, you can see that uh, he is, uh, love is also reflected uh, in his constant desire to meet the needs of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 8, uh, it talks about, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 is defining uh, the love of God. And 13, 8 says, love never fails. Mm. Uh, and the reason it never fails, and this is this is unique to God, it never fails because it isn't dependent on reciprocation from those who are receiving his love. Mm. Uh, you know, for us, uh, we love one another. We, you know, I put gas in your tank if you put gas in my tank. 
uh, human love, if it doesn't get a reciprocation, mm-hmm. uh, will eventually die out. Uh, but God's love endures because he doesn't depend on us loving him back. He has an uh, infinite capacity to just keep drawing from and pouring out love. Yeah, the, the infinite is a good word to use because infinite is unlimited. Yeah. So if his love uh, ceased because he didn't get a return, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be infinite. He wouldn't be infinite. He'd be limited. He'd be limited to our response. Infinite, as we saw some weeks ago, means that he is unlimited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his love is always continuing uh, because he's unlimited. Now, I think this kind of brings you to that, that point. There's the natural question, well, is God, I mean, you're, you're claiming because God says he's good to all. Is he really good? And I think one of the main lies that, Satan all throughout history has tried to say is God may claim to be good, but he's really not good. And look at all these examples of how God wasn't good. Mm -hmm. So is he really trustworthy? Um, So what would be some of, you know, the, some responses as, as we hear, like I've heard my coworkers come to me before and say, man, did you hear about this tragedy? If God were good, why wouldn't he have prevented that, you know, and, and trying to place me in judgment, you know, of God's actions to defend his goodness? What would be a, a good response to understanding the goodness of God? And I'll just I'll just give one that, that has helped me sometimes is, um, you know, we sometimes see in the news very affluent children who've been given everything that they want all through their lives. And they've grown up and they've, had, you know, they want the fancy toy, they get the fancy toy. And many times they grow up to the point, they've even got a name for it now called affluenza, where these children don't even have the normal um, goodness of interacting with others because they've never been allowed to, um, to work and to experience some of the things that you need to experience to mature and grow into a loving person. Mm-hmm. And so we would look at these parents and say, well, of course you can't give your kids everything they ask for. Why would a good parent wouldn't do that? Um, so just because God doesn't give us what we ask for doesn't mean he's not good. Uh, and, and so one of the things I think it's important as we, as we look at some of these things, whether it's me and God, let me win the lottery uh, God, you know, I think a lot of the the attacks on God's goodness is either He didn't give me what I asked Him for in the timing I wanted Him to, um, or He didn't seem to respond when I wanted Him to. So, um, give, give us some thoughts on on how we can, you know, interact with a God who claims to be always good and claims to be good to uh, everyone and have an infinite supply of love. You know, our experience is not always we get what we want from him. Well, you, you put it very well. Um, he's uh, the fact that he is not prepared to give us everything we ask for because he knows better than we do, mm-hmm. whether that's good for us or not. Yeah. Um, the good example in First Samuel 8, the elders came to Samuel and they said, you're getting old and we want a king like all the other nations. <laughs> and Samuel felt like he had been, mm. uh, you know, rejected and yeah. went to God. And God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Mm. But go back and tell them and warn them what a king will do. Mm. And they came back and they said, we don't care what you say. We want a king like all the other nations. So he mm. gave them salt, whose name actually means asked for. 
Does it really? I didn't know that. That's yeah, interesting. and then Saul um, turned out to be a king like all the other nations. Paranoid, yeah. uh, murderous, uh, murdered the high priest and, and 85 priests yeah. out of just absolute hatred for David. The best thing that God could have done mm-hmm. for them would have been to deny their request, but it was necessary to deal with the obstinacy and the sin yeah. in them. And so, in a sense, God is lovingly granting their request, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. In other words, from our perspective, the last thing they should have gotten was Saul. Yeah. But because of their hardness of heart and their obstinance, it was necessary for God to allow them to have what they wanted mm-hmm. uh, in order to bring them to repentance. Mm-hmm. So it was really the goodness of God and the love of God that exceeded to a request that was not good. Mm-hmm. But other times, you know, we won't get what we want because, um, you know, he knows very well that that's not going to be uh, good for them. You know, my when my daughters were four and five years old and they'd come mm-hmm. up and wanted the keys to drive to 7-Eleven, uh, you know, they're not going to get that request. It's, <laughs> it's not good for them, right? <laughs> It's, it's way yeah. beyond their ability, yes. but they think they can handle it in their own Absolutely. limited understanding. Absolutely. But God in his kindness will not grant that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that he will do in his kindness, and Scripture says this both in Proverbs 3 uh, and again in Hebrews 12, uh, just to a couple of places, mm-hmm. and that is he will discipline us. He mm-hmm. will put us through difficult times. Uh, and he does so not because he's uh, evil, but he's doing it out of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis sometimes says that God sometimes operates with a severe mercy. Mm. Uh, and I like the way he, yeah. he says that. Yeah. Well, there's also, I think there's certain things that God can only give us through us experiencing hard circumstances. You know, James talks about faith, you know, only comes about when God, we walk through certain circumstances and turn to God through the circumstances. And so it's not he, he can snap his fingers and all of a sudden we have faith. It's that faith is a thing that has grown in us right. through the things. Uh, Gary sometimes calls it God's curriculum God has for each of us. And we have the opportunity as this curriculum is presented before us to lean on God and grow stronger in God through the curriculum. Um, but it's not like it's all... You know, so we're talking about the love and goodness of God. We're talking about a deep love and goodness, not a shallow Santa Claus, you know, you get any present you want love and goodness. We're talking about something that's much deeper, much more holistic uh, as God looks us and, and knows what he wants us to be someday, which is like Christ. Well, and understand that he is a being who is omnipotent, omniscient omnipresent he is not like us at all Mm -hmm. and yet he puts up with us uh and does so in love Mm -hmm. Um, so he he is and his love is also the manifestation of his goodness which we just talked about yeah so he is good to us even though from our perspective we don't always see it that way Mm -hmm. Um, good example is joseph uh, That's a very good example. His brothers, you know, tried to kill him and then decided not to do that. And they sold him off into slavery. But many, many years later, hmm. uh, Joseph said to them, don't, don't feel bad. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good hmm. to the saving of many people. 
And so he works, his love works, even in the midst of, mm. from our perspective, what would be tragedy and, and yeah. even evil being practiced. It's not that God is evil, but he will use it to accomplish uh, his good. So I think we can, with any small individual uh, tragedy, we don't have all the answers right now. And, and I don't think God has, you know, we read the book of Job, God has not given us all the answers to why suffering happens. But we can point to some real concrete stories in the Old Testament, stories in the New Testament, and places like, you know, where it says, you know, while we were yet sinners, not even looking for God, in that moment, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. In that moment, he demonstrated his love that, that the Bible says there's no greater love than a man gives his life for his friend. So mm-hmm. he, he demonstrated his depth of his love with this massive, expensive, huge gift of his son on the cross. And so while we may not have all the answers to this particular situation we're talking about over here, where it seems like God may not be good, we can always go back to, but we know God's good because he's demonstrated it this way. And because he's demonstrated that way, we can trust that someday we'll know more fully what's going on behind the scenes to understand right. the goodness of God. Exactly. The other thing about his love, too, is that his love is eternal. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, not only does it never come to an end, but he was in eternity past. Mm-hmm. He loved. And he, before the creation, God was love. Mm-hmm. But that's also proof of the Trinity, in a way, because in the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity, they are always exalting one another mm-hmm. um, and glorifying one another. And the result of that is, is that for God to be loved, there has to be, love needs an object. Absolutely. Or has an yeah. object. And the object was within the Trinity of the three persons within mm-hmm. the Trinity loving one another. So when God created us, um, he didn't create us because he needed somebody to love. That would make that would mean, again, he's not infinite if he mm-hmm. has need. He doesn't need us to love. But one of the aspects of God's love, which is always outward, it's mm-hmm. never self-focused. It's always outward, seeking the benefit of the other and within the Trinity exalting one another. Mm. That results in another quality, and that quality is joy. And so he created us in order that we might experience, not that he needs us, Mm -hmm. but that we might experience that love uh, and at the same time experience that joy. Um, And the result of us experiencing joy is the joy increases, Hmm. both for us and for for God. Hmm. Uh, You know, for example, when you have your loved one, you see your loved one, really enjoying something. Oh, I, f- I feel this all the time. Absolutely. It gives you joy. Absolutely. To see them jo- enjoying. Yeah. So you see, uh, you're out on a, you and your wife are, you know, on a vacation and you, you're you in the hotel and you step out on the veranda or, or the, you know, the little oh, yeah, thing yeah. and you see this gorgeous sunset mm-hmm. and you say come here come here come here absolutely look 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 well when she's looking at it mm-hmm. and she is uh thrilled and overwhelmed as well mm-hmm. then that gives you added joy to yeah. see her 
enjoying. Mm-hmm. And that was why I think we're created, because he wanted us to experience the joy, mm-hmm. but the joy also increases. But that can only happen when we're talking about love that is others oriented mm-hmm. not not self human human right. self love but others oriented and that's what he is mm-hmm. ultimately that's, that's a what, great picture that's why he created us i mean he didn't need us I, I used to travel for business all the time and i would go to new york and and switzerland and and people were like well is it fun going to all these places like well it'd be way more fun if i could bring my wife with me then it would then i'd be able to experience switzerland you know but but being there by yourself is just not it's not the same, you know, and, and being able to experience all the things that God wants for us and then to interact with him about those experiences. I think that's where the life of the Christian life is all about. That's where you get that joy of seeing God take a broken situation and watch him start to put the pieces back mm-hmm. together and say, God, you're really amazing right now. I just want to tell you that what you've done in this family, what you've done in this this healing over here, you're just amazing. And I think that's um, what you're talking about here. You're talking about the love of God, that him wanting to communicate himself. That's what he wants to do in us. Well, and two, we, you know, we were saying a little earlier, but the love of God moves him to revealing himself mm-hmm. to us. And uh, that's exactly what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. He reveals the Father. Us. He reveals the Father. John one eighteen said that uh, no one has ever seen God, but the Son uh, has mm-hmm. revealed Him or has displayed Him. And, and in displaying the Father mm-hmm. through Christ, what do we see? Compassion, yeah. mercy. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, I love to see some of the things that that he does, um, you know, like the leper that falls before him. And he says, if you want to, you can heal me. Jesus said, of course I want to. Touches Mm. him. Now, it was unclean. The leper's unclean. Jesus becomes unclean to touch him. To touch him. Uh, in a sense, in the Levitical sense, right. but it, that even that's a picture of he took our uncleanness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the centurion comes and says, "You know, my servant is um, uh, at home in, in great agony; he's paralyzed." Yeah. You know, and what's Jesus' response? This is a Gentile. I'll go with you. Yeah. What's Jesus' response? I'll come and heal you. Yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. compassion. He sees five thousand people. He yeah. heals their sick, casts out demons. Feeds them. Hungry, yeah. I was thinking, you know, thinks about their needs. Everything, you know. Yeah. That's, when you see him doing that, Mm -hmm. he is revealing the Father. That's the way the Father ultimately is. So let's talk for a minute about, you know, are there limits to God's love? And what I'm thinking about are, you know, of course you're loving people in your family, your kids. And, but what about people that completely reject God? Like like an atheist who says there is no God or, you know, people who say, you know, that Jesus wasn't God. You know, or does God love those people too? And if so... How, how, you know, does that, how is he revealing himself to, to people? Because that's what love is, is him trying to communicate to those people. Well, I think the answer to your first question is yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's very clear uh, in scripture that says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I mean, yeah. he, he doesn't, uh, it is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And he regards it as a tragedy. Um but he does reveal himself to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reveals himself to them through creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Romans uh, 
120, I think, or maybe it's 119. One says he's revealing through creation, 120. Mm-hmm. 119 says he has placed it within us to know him. Mm-hmm. So he uh, is making effort to respond, I mean, to reveal himself, mm-hmm. but our response uh, is not something he's going to force against us. You know, and I think, into. yeah, I think many times God will put in someone's path someone who, who if, if there's really someone who's a seeker and wants to know God, mm-hmm. God will put someone in their path absolutely to meet them. So Jerry, one of the questions that, that I might have is, well, I think a lot of people in America want to talk about the love of God without the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a few that want to talk about the holiness of God and God's judgment, and they kind of do it without the love of God. How do you? How do we see the love of God and the holiness of God? How do we hold on to both of those at the same time? Well, first of all, understand that God's grace is is probably the ultimate demonstration of His love, and also His justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in other words, He pours out grace on the people who didn't deserve it, who insisted yeah. on turning their backs on Him, hmm. and coming and going against Him. Uh, and that's what Romans is talking about. Romans five twenty five, you know, says when we were, um, uh, he, he says that he justifies the wicked. And Romans mm-hmm. five six says that while we were helpless, uh, yeah. he, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, what you have in the death of Christ is this tremendous picture of the love of God through grace. Um, Sin has got to be dealt with. I mm. mean, his holiness, as we talked about earlier, sin cannot be swept under the under yeah. the carpet. It has to be dealt with. Otherwise, it will go on and comp- continue to increase and destroy mm-hmm. wherever it touches. Um, so it has to be dealt with. Well, for it to be dealt with in our lives would then mean eternal condemnation, Hmm. eternal separation from him, uh, an abode in hell for eternity. Um, He is not wanting that to happen. He's not willing that. And again, 2 Peter says he's not willing that any should perish. So in his love, he sends his own son to bear the sin so that justice can be done by punishing the sin in his own son. Mm. which lets us go free. Mm. Uh, uh, one of the most... <laughs> yeah. That, that's the most incredible historical event in all of all of our history. Because in the cross, you have both justice and love... Uh, together. Together. Um, and um, what's interesting, I think it's in Psalm 87, that says both righteousness and peace kiss one another mm-hmm. and that's what's happened at the cross you know our in his righteousness mm-hmm. uh, and his justice he dealt with our sin now we have peace with god and we get the righteousness of christ he got our sin we got his righteousness that was mm-hmm. not a fair exchange no so kind of to summarize this as we think about the love of god one of the things that i think i see in america is some people want to take the love of god but forget about the holiness of God. And, and then there's a few people who want to talk too much about the holiness of God and not enough about the love of God. And, and I would say to those who only want to talk about the love of God, if we, if we don't have the holiness of God, then the cross makes no sense. 
and the whole idea that that God would allow his son to experience the cross makes no sense without the righteousness and holiness of God. And on the other side, with people that are talking too much about the holiness of God, then the cross doesn't make sense because then why would God sacrifice everything? Why would God pay such an expensive penalty to save each and every one of us? And so in the cross, we have the perfect combination of the love and the holiness of God. And I think that's why Paul said he wants to continue to preach Christ uh, crucified and resurrected as the, um, as the answer to the world on who God is and how we should relate to him.